Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. All right, ladies and gents, welcome back to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. I am one of your hosts, Matt Shockey, and sitting across from the table, table from me, as always, is Jeff Hudson. And we have a little uh, – look. looks like another craft beer staring at us. Uh, Jeff, you need to put the beer into History, Politics, and Beer, and it's your time to shine. Okay. This beer I had never heard of until I just went into the beer distributors. We still have those in PA here. And it's called Resilience. Now, it's made by Sierra Nevada, which I'm sure anybody who's ever drank a a craft beer uh, knows that Sierra Nevada is one of the original and largest craft brewers in the the country. Chances are your first craft beer was uh, a Sierra Nevada of some kind. But this they brew, and they, I, I, on the outside of the box, what attracted to me is every dollar that they take in, they promise to give uh, to the wall. No, <laughs> <laughs> they're not funding the wall. Oh man, see, so dang a, it, it's a big, you're almost there. That's a big guess. But uh, uh, they're giving it to uh, a fund. Uh, they call it a campfire fund, relief fund. Uh, they they live in Butte mm-hmm. County, or they. Ruther Beer in Butte County, California, which is the site of the biggest fire there. And so what they're doing is trying to really, really help um, the people affected by the fire. And I tell you what, anytime I can drink beer for a good cause. It's always a good thing. So yeah. let's crack it here. All right. See what we got going. It's a nice – it really is a nice can. As you said before we started recording, it's a handsome can. Yeah, it's nice. It is. I like it. It's got a nice – all right, here we go. Nope. <laughs> that is very IPA for me. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a little. Uh, you know, I like the. Hot you beers. like the IPA. If you like IPAs, it's a fine beer. Right. It's not a. It, you know, I don't mean to poop on resilience here. <laughs> They're <laughs> yeah. raising money for a good cause, and I will drink it. Um, so let's. You know, that, there's to be said for that. But it is it is a hoppy IPA. Um, but hey, get it for the can. If you like IPAs. Get it for the hoppiness. If you're a good person, get it to so you can donate some money to help people who have lost their homes in fires. All right, which <coughs> which is kind of an interesting segue here because if you're losing your home in a fire, that's an emergency. And sometimes emergencies happen. And when emergencies happen, uh, you, you, you need to uh, move things around. I'm going to give you an example. The other day, Jeff, my hot water heater sprang a leak. It did. It was a pain in the butt. It leaks everywhere. It was all over the carpet. Yeah. And I did not budget for a new hot water heater. But guess what? I had to pay for a new hot water heater. And we instituted an emergency plan here at the Shockey household. And basically what we do is you raid another fund, so to speak, to pay off something that you need right now. And in a very simplistic way and, – And your boys don't need spring clothes. No one, no one does. It's it's weak. It's going to get warm. It's snowflake. You're a snowflake (laughs) if you need warm clothes and clean clothes. But in a very simple way, this is what a national emergency is for our country, right? We have money that we budget 
for all sorts of things that, that for content for things that happen, but things happen that we can't budget for, we didn't foresee, and we give the president a special power to declare a national emergency to really just like what my family did, we stole money from another part of our budget, and the president can do the same thing. He can take money from another budget to help suppress, help battle, help combat, whatever you want to say, this national emergency, uh, and that's basically what is attempting to happen here with Trump declaring a national emergency to help build the wall. But I think we need to back up a little bit and talk about separation of powers and how in a planned world, how should this wall have been built? Well, well right. I mean, uh, the Constitution says in Article 1, Section 8, the delegated powers, the powers it gives to the federal government, that Congress has the power uh, you know, to tax that Congress has the power to to uh, decide how the money will be used, and and I think in Article One, Section Seven, right before that, it says that the House of Representatives all revenue bills must originate in the House of Representatives, and of course the idea behind that. Is the House that's closest to the people? House representatives House elected every two years. Elected every two years, and and way that when the Constitution was written, the only branch that was directly elected, right? Because senators were elected by state legislators. Uh, but the idea was that you know your neighbor, could, if they raised your taxes, man, your neighbor, you're going to come back, and they're going to know about it. And and so that that was the purpose of it to to keep the uh, budgetary. Uh, the, the money spending and the taxing as close to the American people as possible. Remember the battle cry of the revolution, no taxation without representation. And want taxes taken out and money spent without the approval of the people. So Trump wants $5.6 billion, uh, I think, is the n- magic number uh, that's floating around for the, for the beginning of the wall. Uh, some people think that $5.6 billion is going to pay for the whole wall. It's not even going to be close. Uh, right. This is simply a down payment. So yeah, I've seen 5.6, 5.7, but you get the idea right. about that. So tip, what should have happened in, in, uh, in a – normal give and take is that the president requests Congress uh, for this budgetary item. He wants money to build the wall. It's debated in Congress. And if Congress sees that this is a necessary item, they put it in the budget um, and it's paid for and the president gets to build his wall with money that's been specifically allocated for this purpose, correct? Right. That did not happen. No. Right. Um, they, he couldn't get it passed. I think what was uh, what was the amount? One point three seven five billion was passed in the in the budget resolution right. that just passed. So obviously, more than four billion short of what Trump wanted. And this is what the government shutdown was all about. Government was. I mean, Trump was playing sort of uh, chicken with Congress, saying, "Okay, I'm going to shut down the government. I'm, I'm not going to pass any." Spending legislation. I'm not going to sign it. The government will shut down. And a partial shutdown. Yeah, a, a partial shutdown. It's a very good uh, clarification there. And until I get my money. Um, and what happened was. Went on for 35 days. And Trump blinked first. He right. was losing in the polls. The polls were turning against him. He was starting to lose his base, uh, which was single male. I mean, white males, non-college educated white males were starting to turn on him. Uh, and he made a, the political correct move and agreed to open up the government uh, with the caveat that we're going to come back to this 
in a short period of time. Um, attempted to come back. The votes still were not there in Congress. Politically impossible to shut down the government again. So he did what you predicted on this show. I did predict. Yes. Uh, three weeks or a month ago, you mm-hmm. said well, the only way out of this phase, because he's got to save face, is to declare that national emergency. And that's what he did. That's exactly what he does. He declares a national emergency. And a national emergency is just like I told you. Congress has passed legislation and we passed the National Emergency Act. And we went over this in a previous podcast right along with the War Powers Act to give the president uh, special powers in the times of an emergency. We could argue and we could have a whole debate on whether the War Powers Act is actually working or not, but it is there for that reason. Um, I'm going to give you an example of a war power of of this act working using the logic that Trump is using, the law he's using. And I'll give you an example of a non-controversial way it's being used. All right. So after 9-11, um, when we invaded Iraq and Af- we invaded Afghanistan, and even during the first Gulf War when we invaded Iraq, um, Surprisingly, we did not plan for those in advance. So there were there wasn't budget money to help our troops once they got on on the the land or got in the country. So what President George Bush did, uh, W, he declared a national emergency, and he said, "Look, we need money to build barracks, to build roads, to build infrastructure." in Iraq, I mean, in Afghanistan to support our troops. We're going to take money out of the military construction budget that was designated for something else. And we're going to build this infrastructure to help support our troops. Complete legitimate use of the uh, of the Emergency Powers Act, very non-controversial. I think uh, both Bushes used it something like 14 or 18 times. It was used quite extensively. Uh, over $1.5 billion, I think, was used to build infrastructure and things like that. Trump is using the same logic. He is, but it's sort of backwards. He's saying if we're going, instead of building something to support the military, we're going to build something with or f- with the military. It's really kind of a backwards logic. The law he's using is actually set up to build infrastructure for our military. He's using it backwards. He's using, he's going to build the wall. Take money out of that. Using, yeah. So it's a really convoluted way of using this particular law to build this wall. Um, And as you can, as you already know, at least by recording this, I think there's something like almost 20 lawsuits out there now from different groups from different states. I think 16 states have sued him. I think the ACLU has a lawsuit uh, pending, um, all for a myriad of different things. Right. And the the name of the law he's using is the National Emergencies Act, which goes back to 1976. And one thing that Trump has claimed is he's not the first guy to do that. There's been lots of presidents. You already mentioned yeah. the Bushes. And I think I found that, uh, you know, there has been 58 national emergencies uh, have been declared by uh, various presidents since 1979. And uh, what a lot of people don't know is 31 of them are still in effect. And they've done things like even President Carter was uh, uh, blocking uh, uh, Iranian government property here in the United States. It's trying to leverage uh, the release of the hostages. That's a national emergency. Well, you can't predict it. I mean, there's no way to predict it. You can't uh, 
go on. I mean, uh, Reagan uh, barred trade with Nicaragua because of the Sandinistas right. taking over. And, uh, you know, even Obama uh, has used these uh, national emergency declarations. Uh, uh, again, he actually used one. This might be the closest thing to Trump. He used one to uh, block property uh, transactions of national criminals and cartels. So he was fighting the drug war by trying to seize property and freeze bank assets of of, of those people. And that wasn't accounted for. And again, you could you could imagine that that would change. Which which groups had uh, who, who were trying to uh, shift funds and and what what uh, property you could seize. And not all national emergencies deal with spending money. Um, some of them simply are taking powers that really aren't specific geared towards the president. They may rely on uh, Congress to help and then passing joint resolutions and then having the president sign it. But because of this National Emergency Act, I, I forget how many um, – laws there are, how many powers the president theoretically could summon, but it's well over a hundred. The president can dip into this powers if he needs to in cases of emergency. In Trump's case, it's about spending money. And most times there is a money connection to it, but not always. Um, like for example, trade embar- the trade uh, with – you mentioned Syria I think was part of a uh, emergency uh, resolution. The one with, you say, uh, Carter and Iran uh, right. was really about seizing assets more than it was about spending real money that, that we had. Right, right. That, that's correct. Most of them haven't been just about spending uh, money. The, the odd, you know, and the, the odd thing about Trump's announcement on Friday where he said, you know, he's going to uh, get this money, six, $600 million from a Treasury Department. Department forfeiture fund, two point five billion from a Defense Department counter drug fund, and another three point six billion from Pentagon military construction uh, uh, projects. Uh, the odd thing about it is, after he said this, he said he didn't have to do it this way. <laughs> I just want to be faster. Yeah, and you know. I can look at that two ways, but the main way I look at that is he just sort of said this isn't an emergency. I just would like it to be done quicker. That's not what this law is for, and that's those words may come back to oh, those words will definitely come haunt back to him haunt him. Absolutely, as these things are litigated. Now you could say uh, he could have done it another way, but you know he was what he was really trying to think is. Well, this had to be done. The emergency is so terrible. I have to do it this way. But that's not what he said. He said I didn't have to do it this way. Probably not his best speech. No, and if the emergency was such a – if it was such a pending emergency, why didn't you do it two years ago? Why not do it one year ago? Um, we're going to talk about the – I want to talk a little bit about the politics of just simply declaring a national emergency of, in this manner. Um, it's, it's going to – almost in the very beginning um, – 
he, the lawsuits were going to stop this thing to some degree, at least temporarily. This $3.6 okay, this is the largest chunk he's pulling money. He's pulling out of the military construction fund. Now, we really don't often talk about the military construction fund, but it's very important. The military construction fund builds hospitals for soldiers. It builds barracks. It builds housing. It builds all sorts of things. And these projects have been vetted by the Pentagon, and sometimes it takes years to move these projects through the process into the point where they're actually going to be built. And then on top of that, you also have congressmen and senators who are pushing to have certain projects built because it's money coming back to their home state. If you're building a barracks in Arizona, obviously the senators from Arizona are going to be very interested in that. So the question Come, becomes and hasn't been answered, which projects are we not doing? Well, what are we not going to build right. that was already vetted by the Pentagon and approved by Congress, then signed by the president? So what this wall is so important, what are we not building? And uh, I think Virginia uh, Senator uh, Tim Kaine has already written to the Pentagon saying, you know, uh, what's the list of all projects that, that would be affected by the emergency declaration? I've found some interesting statistics on that. Uh, in in uh, last year, in April, the Pentagon said uh, to Congress that it had a $116 billion maintenance backlog. In other words, we need to spend $116 Say that again. $116 billion uh, maintenance backlog. We need, in other words, we're going to maintain our bases and maintain uh, what's there. We need 116 billion. Now uh, they didn't get that, uh, but it, they went on to say that 23 percent of the department's facilities are in poor condition, and another nine percent are in failing condition. This is the Pentagon, and when they're asking, you know, the Appropriations Committee for money, right? And uh, so they they got less of a. Uh, than a tenth of that, okay? They got uh, they got ten point three billion dollars. They that's what they got. They they would like one hundred sixteen billion to get everything hunky dory. So that means the money that is going to be spent is very hard fought, right? That's ten point three. They, they're going to take a third of that, three point six, for the wall, if. The declaration is used how Trump's. And if that so. money is coming into your home district, into your home state, and you're a congressman and you fought the Pentagon and you fought the you fought to get your project bumped to the top of the list because it's that important, all of a sudden you're gonna be okay with pulling this money out. And then when the president says, Well, I really didn't have to do it this way, but I wanted it done fast. This hey, I, I, I lived in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, when I was a kid, and I will. It's a it's a big military base, and there's Pope Air Force Base right next to it. And I'm just t- telling the residents of Fayetteville, North Carolina, they probably know that. without Fort Bragg and Pope Air Force Base, Fayetteville fails. You know that that community just th- that's a huge source of income for that community, and that's why it's so important, and that's why. Uh, these, you know, senators are concerned about it and congressmen are concerned about this. But let me play a little bit of um, devil's advocate. I don't know if that's even a proper word, of the, proper use of the phrase devil's advocate. But let me look past this and let me let me ma- say this and see if you agree with it. Trump doesn't want the wall built. The, he knows a national emergency is going to fail. 
He could have done this year. He could have done it literally years ago. Well, he two had, years ago, he had the House and the Senate. But like, he knows. Can't really blame Nancy Pelosi. But but he wants to. So what does he do? He waits until the Democrats be, get in charge of the House. Then he can float this bill, knowing it's going to be defeated. And then he can claim, look, the Democrats are blocking the wall. Great campaign, great campaign material. It creates the boogeyman that Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and all these new radical women that are in the House of Representatives are blocking your uh, wall. And of course, there's going to be more angel families, more families who are going to suffer death in their, because these illegal immigrants are coming over. And as he said, they're murderers, they're rapists. There's some good ones in there, but there's this huge lawless component. He knows this thing's never going to be passed. He knows it's going you to mean, be- You mean it's going to be stopped in it's the gonna, courts. It's going to be stopped in the courts, but he doesn't. it doesn't matter. An unbuilt wall- is better politically for him in two years and partially built or whatever in 2020 because then he can paint the Democrats as the boogeyman. He knows it's not going to be built. He doesn't care that's going to be not going to be built. That's not the point of this emergency. It's a it's political theater. That's well, all this is. Well, you certainly got to wonder why this wasn't broached the first two years. That was his. The, the campaign promise that got the most applause usually at the Trump rallies. I will build a great big wall. And, and Mexico I, will pay Mexico, for it. Mexico, it turned out Mexico is not paying for this. So. Do you think Mexico's military would pay for it? <laughs> I don't, you don't think, think so. Right. I think Mexico. And, uh, you know, and there's no provision. Uh, you know, sometimes the uh, people say, well, you know, he renegotiated NAFTA. And that that money, whatever that money is, will pay for the wall. But there's no provisions in the renegotiation of NAFTA for any fees that would go to a wall. So Mexico's not paying for the wall. But the the other part of the campaign promise was that the wall would be built. And now he can't get the money to do that. But you do have to wonder – you would think that with the Republican control of the House and the Senate, he could have gotten more money. And as a matter of fact, he could have gotten more money for the wall. There's some evidence that he could have gotten his $5.7 billion a couple of years ago. So why, you know, just to, to your point, why do you wait till now? Why do you wait when the part of the government that actually where revenue bills have to start is controlled by a party that says that they'll never build a wall, that, that they won't do that? Money for fencing and so forth are partial, but nothing like – what Trump used to talk about. No, it's a big, all beautiful wall. It's all political theater. It's it's the it's the Muslim ban that went down in fire and flames that was never implemented. It's uh, it was implemented in its like third form. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, after negotiate again and again to try to get past the idea that it was simply based on religion. He's he's already changed the moniker of instead of build that wall, it's finish that wall. Okay. We, haven't even, we haven't even started building the wall. How do we finish something we haven't even started yet? And again, this is to me, this is all about political theater. Um, and he, what I've noticed about Donald Trump is he needs a boogeyman. He needs somebody that he can say, "I'm going to protect you against." I'm going well, to prote- work with Hillary Clinton. Oh yeah, because Hillary Clinton was his foil, and Hillary Clinton had been in the public scene enough to make a lot of em- uh, enemies, not just Republicans, some Democrats too, some, especially some of the Bernie Sanders progressive type Democrats, which uh, didn't really support her uh, wholeheartedly. But 
Yeah, he was able to use Hillary Clinton and that channel, block her up. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it was a, a boogeyman, a scapegoat, if you will. Hillary Clinton, the yeah. free press is the, the free press is the enemy of the people. Right. Uh, illegal immigrants, Democrats. And we need to, you need to keep the boogeyman alive. Well, I also think that's his personality. You know, if you ever read about him and Fred Trump, his dad, uh, that's pretty interesting because his dad would talk about uh, there are people and the two types of people in the world. And the people are one. He referred to them as killers. You know, they want. And so Trump is a guy, I think, who sees negotiation as a zero-sum game. Which is weird because usually negotiators understand that the other party has to get something, and I don't think I don't think he looks at it that way. I think he looks at at these negotiations kind of binary. I got to get it's right. my way or the highway. So you know he could have got more money for his wall, but he like you said he waited, and now he has this this boogeyman that he can might be able to defeat through this emergency declaration, or at least get his base to believe he can defeat the boogeyman that way. Right. And now, that's a, have you looked at the polling on this? Though? I don't know if it necessarily supports what I think his ideas are. What do you mean? Expand on that a little bit. All right. Well, uh, there's an, uh, a fairly recent Quinnipiac poll, and uh, it said that uh, uh, 56% of those surveyed did not support a wall, well, 44% did. So just the idea of the wall uh, and what I thought was more interesting, I like to bang around and look at what the newspaper sites are saying and right, right where the the affected people are. And this is from the uh, an Arizona Daily Star poll. And uh, what they said is that uh, what they polled was, would, would an expanded wall along the southern Arizona border uh, – would it really help to decrease illegal immigration into the state? So they're asking people that live in Arizona, is this going to decrease illegal immigration? And most of the people said, no, it's not, it's, that's not going to help. That's people in Arizona affected by the problem. So I, I don't know if he's going to get the response that he wants out of this. He, he seems tone deaf to the to those nuances of polling, you know, his base isn't all in along Arizona. You know, oh, the true. base is in Iowa. The base is in Kansas. It's interesting that a lot of the As a base, matter of fact, they just lost a Senate seat in Arizona. The well, Republicans did. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is the states that tend to have the most Im- illegal immigrants are against the wall. The states that tend to have the least Im- illegal immigrants are for the wall. That always sort of baffled me that the people actually dealing with the problem are against the wall. This reminds me. Or Phil, it will be, be, you know, even if they might think you could construct one, they just don't think it's going to stop the illegal right. immigrants. It, it sort of reminds me of um, the terrorist attacks and who was for certain policies uh, protecting us from the terrorist attacks and the policies that were be being put forth when New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, when Washington, D.C., when these places are against those policies, these are the places that were 
in the crosshairs that were going to be attacked. You think you would listen to those people more than you would listen to the guy living in Montana that's never going to be attacked. It seems that many times – Well, any bomber lived in Montana. That's true. But he didn't bomb people in Montana. <laughs> no, it was said, just his homestead. Yeah. You know, And this reminds me – this that sort of terrorist policy or terrorist policies re, re, reminds me of this or, or however I want to say that correctly in that – it seems that where the rubber meets the road, people don't want the wall. Uh, if you look at all the congressional districts in Texas that are on the border, not one person in the House of Representatives supports the wall. And, and they're Republicans and Democrats together. You know, that should tell you something. And that's why I'm saying it's political theater. It doesn't make a difference who wants the wall and who doesn't want the wall. He feels that this is, this is red meat for a certain part of his base and what he would love, what he would love is to get a quote unquote snowflake or what he could portray as a snowflake as a democratic candidate to run against him that he could say, look, I'm this big, strong guy protecting us. And we have this wuss over here like Bernie Sanders, who is all touchy feely, Elizabeth Warren, exactly. Another great example of how Trump would use that. And they don't want to protect you. They're too weak. They can't do it. These right. people are dangerous. Only I can protect you. Um, I take – Well, I, I want a secure border too. I mean I, I would like a, a border that's secure. I would like a border that uh, would keep the worst of – because there are you know bad hombres as Trump would say. There's some that come over the border and I'd like to be able to keep those people out. Um, I don't – Unfortunately for me, that's not hasn't been Trump's policy. It's been painting Mexicans with a broad brush and other minorities with a broad brush, and the wall becomes not something that could be actually useful in keeping unwanted illegal immigrants because there's there's certainly some illegal immigrants that most Americans wouldn't want here. But it becomes a symbol of the fact that we're, we are a country that's becoming uh, more and more brown and less and less dominated by uh, white people. And as far as strength goes, maybe even uh, that more, where women have more and more power and you know, white men aren't always going to be seen in the role as protectors. So there's a power – I think it's almost a psychological wall. Rather than something that's real, that is going to be built and work to keep immigrants out. Right. And we, I, we're, we're coming up on that 30 minute mark of our pod, and we like to try to keep the pods around 30 to 35 minutes. Um, and for me, it, it really comes down to allocation of resources. I think we mentioned this in the last pod. I'm not necessarily against a wall just in principle. Like, I know, but you need to demonstrate to me it's necessary. You need to demonstrate to me it's going to do what you want it to do. It's not going to have unattended consequences because we have limited resources. And I want those limited resources going after the people who are bringing opioids in, or heroin in this country. I don't want it to try to Which keep – usually at coming through seaports, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't want it to go after the illegal that's coming across the border to, to work in the crop fields of Georgia. That's not where I want my money to go. That's not a good allocation of my, our resources. It doesn't keep me safer. It doesn't keep me safer. So 
again, like my point on the wall is it's a horrible allocation of resources and there's been no evidence demonstrated by the person and the entities that want to build it that it's even necessary and that it would even achieve what they wanted to achieve. So that's my final say. I don't know if you want to – Well, well, we started out talking about an emergency. Right. It's not an emergency. No, not not at all. And that's what bugs me. And this is a point – and there are a few Republicans who speak to this – that when you when you allow the president to overstep his bounds and spend money that the Congress, the people's representatives, had already decided should go elsewhere through the legal processes, that's not really a conservative thing to do. No, not that, at all. You know, you don't step on separation of powers and checks and balances and then call yourself a conservative. Uh, and as some people have mentioned, well, we get a Democratic president. They go, well, you know what? I think what real emergency is climate change. Guns. Yep. LB, I think, I think LBGT it's guns. rights. Yeah. I mean – Women's reproduction. It, you can go on and on and on. I think you could probably make better arguments for some of those uh, that uh, keeping Americans safe than the wall. But whether you could or whether you couldn't, you don't want a president – that is bound by the Constitution to all of a sudden break those bonds. And, you know, it's a genie you can't put back in a bottle. Once one president does it, it's not like the next one comes along and says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give Congress back that power. It never works that way. No, They it think doesn't. they got that power and that's it. Look at the war-making powers. Yeah, it, it's a dangerous precedent and uh, just by their very nature – conservatives ought to be against it because it's an expansion of power to the president that was never meant. It's not mentioned in the Constitution. It was never intended. Emergency powers, yes. Um, Emergency powers to circumvent the purse that is controlled by Congress is certainly was never their intent. Right. All right. Until next time. Hey, we got some big news coming up uh, that we're going to announce probably in our next pod. We have a live event coming up in uh, Lancaster at TELUS 360 sometime in March. Going to get together with some local groups and we're going to talk about local immigration and myths again of immigration and hopefully hear a lot of great stories from locals who are dealing on the front lines with a lot of these issues that we've been talking about. So we're going to give you more information on that. Um, And if you need to contact us, historypoliticsandbeer at Gmail. You can get to us on Twitter. You can get to us on Facebook. Uh, Love talking to you guys. And until next time, see you.